Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. As I record this, it is the end of 2020, and you'll be hearing it at the beginning of 2021. It's kind of hopeful, means we have a new beginning, we can rethink a lot of things, including things around the workplace. So we're going to have a lot of conversations this year around what the new workplace is going to look like and how our roles might change within it. Now, one of the things I really think we need to think about is corporate culture, really the way we do things at different workplaces. There were norms in place before the pandemic, but I don't know that they're going to be the correct ones for after the pandemic, when we get back to something we're calling normal. We've all changed. Workers in general are going to have new agendas. We're going to need new rules around that. So that means rethinking corporate culture. Now, I have a really good guest today to discuss all of this with. His name is Brett Putter. He's written two books on corporate culture, but as well, he's on the front lines of this. He's the CEO of a company called Culture G, and he's talked to a lot of people. So he shares a lot of really good thoughts about what he's seeing and what he'd like to see, and it's really worth listening to as a discussion. So please stay with us. Well, workplace culture was a hot topic before the pandemic. It's been something of concern during it, and it will be again once we get beyond that. So what will it look like or even mean? Well, to talk more about it, I'm joined today by Brett Potter. Now, Brett's an expert in company culture development. He's the CEO of a company called Culture Gene. It's a culture leadership software and service platform. And prior to founding that, he spent 16 years as the managing partner of an executive search firm in London, working with startups and high growth companies in the UK, Europe, and the USA. Now, he's also the author of two books, Culture Decks Decoded and Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed, and Manage Your Company Culture. He joins us this morning from Portugal. Hi, Brett. Hi, really great to be on the show. Thanks very much for having me. Well, it's great to have you. I always like to start by asking guests how they got where they are. Uh, Not many people start their lives saying, I want to be an expert in company culture. What took you to this? Yeah, Linda, that's a, that, that's true. I didn't I didn't know that I wanted to be an expert in company culture for a long time. I am um, I was lucky enough actually five years ago to um, while I was still running the executive search firm, I was lucky enough to work with three clients, um, one almost after the other, where they had a very clear understanding of their culture, and they asked me to find candidates who matched the skills, experience, and fit with the values of the company. And they were much harder searches to do, but I realized that during the process and then during the interview process in particular, there was there was something magical. There was something different about these candidates that we found that matched the values of the company. The interactions were better. The, 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 uh, the outcomes of the interview process were better. And actually, the outcomes for the companies over the longer term were better. And that's really where I realized that company culture was the missing missing piece of the puzzle, really. Okay, let's even define it, though. I mean, it's, for some people, kind of a murky concept. How do you define what culture is? Yeah, you're right. It's So company culture, for the most part, is this invisible, subconscious, intangible thing that happens below the surface. And I like to describe company culture as the way we do things around here, which is quite equally sort of uh, ambivalent, really. But actually, the company culture is 
this combination of behaviors, um, habits, norms, principles, communication styles, rituals, the things that we learn to do over time based on achieving success with our business. And company culture is the combination of good and bad behaviors, habits, norms, and so on. So essentially, it's it's how we work and it's what we do to deliver what we need to do to fulfill our mission and then our vision. And the best way to think about company culture is it's in everything. It's 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 really a function, and and leaders should really look at culture as the same way they look at sales or engineering and marketing, and that this is something that if they apply themselves, they can really measure it, manage it, embed it, reinforce it, and work with it as a tool, as an asset in their business. Do you think, in general, companies have done a good job communicating what they want in the culture? Do they even think about it? So no, the answer, the simple answer is no. And that's actually backed up by my own research. I, to um, to interview just over 50 CEOs of high growth companies, um, I had to speak to over 500 because I would be interviewed to a company, um, to the leader of a company, and they'd say, you know, go and speak to Jamie. He's built a really strong culture. And I'd go and interview Jamie. And as soon as we got below the conversation about the values, and all of a sudden, they Jamie wouldn't have the answers that I was looking for. The questions wouldn't be able to answer the questions I was asking. So actually, only one out of 10 companies has done an okay job or a good job of developing their culture. And most companies rarely allowed their culture to develop as a function of having an office. They relied on the water cooler moments, they relied on the the walls doing the job for them so they could be lazy about their culture. But that's all changing now because of where we are with this forced remote work situation. Well, let's talk about that. You say it's changed it, but I wonder if you just put everything on hold. It's just been about getting the job done. Let's not worry about anything else. Do you agree? Um, There is a little bit of that. And there's a little bit of let's put our heads in the sand and hope it goes back to normal. But um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, habits form. And I think the um, the remote work cat is out of the bag, where people now realize that it's actually possible to work effectively remotely. Maybe you don't want to do it all the time. Maybe you want some sort of a hybrid situation where you work remotely sometimes and you work in, the, in an office the other time. But we are never, ever, ever, ever. And let me, say, stre- let me stress that. We are never, ever, ever, ever going back to the way it was. Well, I guess if this pandemic had not gone on as long as it did, people may not agree, but the denial seems to be over at this point. Um, you've been talking to companies through this. Can you tell us you know, some examples of what you've seen as they cope with this? Yeah, so I, I'm seeing really bad coping mechanisms um, and for the most part uh, because companies and leaders relied so heavily on uh, their, their offices to develop and maintain their culture. Now that they don't have those offices, their culture is degrading. And so I'm finding that the companies that did work on defining and embedding their culture pre-COVID are still struggling, but finding it much easier to do this transition. Um, companies, as I, as, as I mentioned, are hoping that it goes back to some sort of normal, but it won't. And companies aren't don't really understand how, or leaders don't really understand how to manage and lead a hybrid environment. 
uh, uh, it's not the same and it's actually a more it's a harder environment to lead than a fully remote environment as a matter as a matter of fact so what would you say they should be doing and they haven't been doing during this so if you think about it um whether if you if you run a hybrid business or you run a fully remote business let's assume we are never ever going to go back to the way it was you've got these two choices whether you run a, a hybrid business or a remote work environment you are you will always have some people who are working remotely and in some cases that will be a large proportion of your team in other cases it'll be a small proportion of your team or something in between but essentially if you if you think about those remote employees if you don't build the right environment for them to feel like they are part of the system they will end up feeling like second class citizens because they're not included in the banter they're not included in the, in the culture they're not included in conversations in meetings in decisions and essentially if they feel like second class citizens they will leave your business to go and join a company where they feel like first class citizens so actually what my recommendation to the companies i'm talking to is that they treat their whole business and learn how to deal with it in a remote first way. So in order to do that you have to actually understand how remote companies work ideally. Okay, so you let's pick up on some of the things you said. You said they're going to feel like second class citizens. I'd argue that in many cases that's how the companies think of them or at least that's how their coworkers think of them. We have to dial that back first. And and that's that's exactly right. They they uh, Previously, that was okay because there weren't that many hybrid or remote work companies out there. So you weren't going to lose those people. And you sort of treated them like that lot over there, you know, a small group of people, it doesn't really matter. They must just dial in and, and do their best to communicate with us because we communicate in a synchronous office-based way. But now there are now there are now literally tens of thousands more hybrid or remote, fully remote companies who will actively target your people if they're not happy. And so if you don't adapt to this new environment where you are deliberate about creating a remote first culture then your internal team will stay your team the internal team that previously thought that remote people were second class citizens are now remote as well so they're realizing the value and the challenges of remote work and some of them will want to stay remote some of those people who were who never thought they would work remote in their life will now want to be remote. Some of them will and some will. I mean, my concern is that we'll have these two classes of people, the ones who say, yes, I like this, I want to be remote, and the others who say, you know what, it's better for my career if I just show up every day. And the managers are maybe going to show up every day, and this is where I think my career will be most enhanced. And and there is a good possibility that companies will operate like that but the best companies that take on a remote first operating system the leaders will not work from an office for most of the time they may pop in and out of the office they may uh, they may do co-located work or, or co-working space work but if you look at the way the best hybrid operating uh, operating companies work the leaders do not work in an office because that's exactly what happens people congregate around them and the system then becomes this broken system of them over there and us over here. You know, you know, you talk to a lot of companies and you probably have a feel for what it's going to look like post pandemic. 
I'm an economist by profession. So I worry that we are going into a softer environment that everyone will get through this, but they have to think about who they want to keep and who they want to perhaps let go and who they want to retrain. Do you think that the war for talent will be what it was pre-pandemic or will we be going through a period of reassessing? I think it's going to get, I think it's going to be worse. Um, on lots of levels. So it's going to be worse on, on, on an internal level because morale, engagement, um, that, that, that's already slipping now because the culture degradation is happening. So internally, you're, you're not, there will be, there is this, currently there's false productivity and false productivity is when you do not have the opportunity to go and live your life outside of work. So we, we're forced into home. We, the one thing we know how to do is work. So we're working and we're being productive. But as soon as we have a remote situation where we can also go out and meet our friends and party and, and, and do what we were doing pre-COVID, then that productivity will drop. But the engagement will drop. There are also really, really serious issues coming down the line with mental health, um, well-being, and burnout. Um, that, is, that is coming. So internally, there are going to be issues. In terms of the war for talent, there are now companies who will say to you, I don't care where you work. If you want to work on the beach, I don't care. It's about the out, it's about us agreeing what your outcomes are. And if you deliver those outcomes in six hours or 16 hours or 36 hours in a week, I don't care. As long as you deliver it and you work the way we want you to work, no problem. So I actually think the war for talent and the best talent is going to be more extreme because Previously, the best talent didn't think they could go and live in Portugal or live in uh, Mauritius or live in on a mountain somewhere and work there. But now they can. Now they know they can. Be interesting to see how it pans out. Uh, I'm one concern. Maybe we're getting a little off topic. So we will have haves and have nots. The war for talent people and the people who are not able to bargain as much. And, you know, maybe that's a question for corporate culture, too. Are we going to have superstars and those who are just not valued as much? And will we be able to keep them all happy and do the right things in terms of valuing them? So I think I think one company's superstars, another company's absolute failure and <laughs> vice versa. So um, it really depends on the kind of company you want to build and the kind of people you want to hire and the culture you're building. So I, I, I'm not, you know, I think, I think there are, there are lots of people who I've worked with who, you know, didn't, didn't like certain companies and didn't like certain, certain cultures and didn't fit in with those cultures and then found their place and, and, and really blossomed. So I think it depends. I, now that companies are going to be forced to be more flexible and, and be more creative around this, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Okay, so we're rebuilding in many ways. We're going to come out into a different world than we had March of 2020. What are the things you'd like to see companies doing now so they're strong after? So there are um, there are nine best practices that remote companies focus on. And if I was a leader of a of a business now, that's what I would be. I would be focusing on. So the which, first which is the is, most important? Which is the one you'd start with? The, well, the, the, I'd start with the easiest, and then work towards the hardest. So the easiest one is social connection, but it's also quite difficult because you can social connection is about making sure that people feel connected. Because as soon as you feel lonely, you're starting to move towards mental health issues or well or burnout issues. So that's that's one. But the challenge with with social connection is. People, people are still remembering what it felt like to go for dinner 
or what it felt like to go to the pub or what it felt like to have lunch faced, you know, in, in person. And so everything that people are trying now that is digital is being connect, compared to that. And so if you compare it, it's, it just feels mad, it feels terrible. So what I, um, I advise my clients to do is to actually grieve, to allow your, your team to grieve for the loss of pre-COVID work because of the five stages. Go through that, accept that it's gone, it's never coming back and, and say, we lived on, on, on the earth and we operated, we breathed and we wore these clothes. Now we're on the moon, we, the gravity is different, the way we breathe, what we eat is different, how we operate is different. We are living on the moon now. Let's accept that we may be able to go back to the earth from time to time and meet up with our colleagues eventually from time to time, but it's never going to be the same again. So first of all, make your team understand that and then make your team be responsible, everybody responsible for social connection. And then the thing that I would take a long and involved and deliberate approach to is moving from synchronous to asynchronous communication because we are designed for synchronicity. And we are used to synchronous communication. We are used to a response. We're used to availability and visibility because people were there. But now we don't have that visibility. We don't have proximity. So we have to move towards asynchronous communication or we burn our people out again and we end up in this spiral. So those are the things that I would look to focus on. There are seven others, but those are the two that, 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 make, that make, for my mind, make the big difference. Okay, so there's seven others. If you look at them or you look at all of them, where is the one where you see the biggest gap between where things are and where things need to be? Documentation. So if you look at a company like GitLab, um, GitLab have 1,300 uh, employees in 65 countries. Um, they, 2016, they had less than 100 employees, fully remote. And four and a half now, five years later, they have 1,300 fully remote employees. And GitLab have a company manual. If you printed it out, it's something like 8,000 pages. And that company manual, every single page is a live working document. It's owned by somebody, it's maintained by somebody, and it, is, it has a specific use case. And, there, and from a documentation point of view, every single remote company I've interviewed or remote company I've studied has a very, sees documentation as a value, as an asset to their business. And they over-index on finding people who are who are able to write. Not so it's moving from a speak first mentality to a write first mentality. That's interesting. I would have thought it might be the other way around because we're communicating now on whatever platform. Do we write things down? But okay. If you if so, what's happening now is especially with with senior leaders is we're having eight or nine hours of Zoom calls, and then doing the work we need to do after that. And if you look at remote leaders who've been doing this for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years, they have two to three hours maximum, maybe four hours maximum of calls, synchronous calls, if at all. And then they do everything asynchronously. So, so, so this is the whole point why I said leaders need to understand how remote companies work because that's where they're going. So do we have the right leaders? And I know you've worked in different continents. It's a hard one to answer maybe as a blanket answer, but Generally speaking, do we have the right leaders for the post-pandemic world? So the answer is yes and no. The answer is yes because too bad that's what you got. But the answer is no because actually the there's there was a study done. I can't remember which university did it, but two professors, I think, at Michigan University, did a study on um, pre-COVID on the difference between um, office-based leaders and remote leaders. 
And office space leaders are charismatic, are alpha, are loud, or want to be at the front of the queue. Remote leaders are not. They, are, they don't have to be charismatic. They are not loud. Remote leaders are coaches by nature. They are supportive. They're well-structured. They're, they're strategic, well right? And they're strategic, exactly. So, but, but it's more about supporting than it is about leading. It's about creating the environment where you can fulfill your potential rather than leading the troops into battle. So the answer to your question is no, we don't have the right leadership teams for the future of work. And that would be, if, if I was running a large organization now, I'd be throwing a ton of money at, at trying to train my alpha male or female leaders to become more coach-like and more supportive. That's interesting. That's not where we focused before. We've done all this training to make people stronger and uh, more sure of themselves and more military, perhaps, and how they are. Is it a generational thing? I don't want to, again, I don't want to generalize, uh, but do you see something different in Generation Z or the millennials or anything else? That's a good question. I haven't actually thought about that. I I think the millennials um, naturally don't lend themselves to being led the way I was or, or, or others, but I haven't, I would need to think about that. Um, generally, you know, in, in the remote companies I've studied or interviewed, there is a broad spectrum of generations and they all work the way they work. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess every generation will be different after this anyway. So yeah. they won't be who they are. In terms of where we're going to be, you've talked about the future of work and having the right leaders. If you look at the workforce in two years or five years, what are the things that are going to be most strikingly different? Yes, people will be working from home more, but but beyond that. Um I think there's gonna be there are gonna be a lot of um uh, challenges, ongoing challenges around loneliness, around collaboration, around um, getting juniors, juniors or inexperienced people up to speed is not easy in a remote environment. So actually, the best companies will create what I call um, individual individual player, so, so single player training, where I train myself versus I rely on other people to train me, um, and so. I think in in five years' time, um, we will we will have people starting to get their heads around how to work remotely, properly, really well. I know, you know, I do think this is hardest on younger people. Once you're a little bit older and you have kids and you maybe live somewhere outside of a city center, yeah, you don't want to commute in. But when you're right out of school and it, the social part matters to you, this is much more difficult. Mm-hmm. And and the, my some of my clients are, are looking at this and going, okay, we're going to keep an office in London, or we're going to keep an office in New York, um, and and if you want to come in every day, that's fine, it's up to you. Um, but as a company, you are expected to come in twice a week on these days. You can work flexibly wherever you want, or you can just be as flexible as you like. It really depends on how the company builds their builds their culture. But invariably especially for the ones who have younger employees or inexperienced employees that need that osmosis, there is an office available where you can just sit there and bump into people and and have that experience. But we will be working as a remote first organization. So even though you can have in-person interactions, it's still remote first. Are you an optimist, Brett? Do you think we'll be in a better place? I think in ten years we'll be in a better place. I don't think we'll be in a better place in five. I think the the um, 
uh, I, I, the way companies move and the way the, the speed with which or lack of thereof of the bigger companies is really going to is, is going to is going to hamper that'll that'll hamper their development. But generally, yes, I think you know I I've spent more time with my children than I would have done. Um, I've spent more time with my wife than I would have done. You know, I haven't spent as much time with my friends, which I'm missing. Yeah. But, you know, that family unit, that connection, yes, I think that's it's better for it. I think it's given me, you know, pause for thought. And it'll have given a lot of people pause for thought around this. So there will be positives that come out of this, but there's going to be a whole lot of pain. Yeah, and this is something I, I wonder about. It may be better for many of us, but does it translate into more productivity and better growth? And is it better for companies? And, and maybe that's a culture question too. I mean, can you get people to take those positive feelings and put them back into the workplace? Yeah, there, there have been lots of companies have been doing this for many years and they've shown that it, that you can do it. I think that's those are remote, really remote first companies. And there have been some hybrid companies that have got this right, but it it's about being intentional and deliberate about culture. If you're not intentional and deliberate about your culture, then then I think this now is really going to stress your business because it's a um you know it's 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 a it's a new paradigm that that nobody's prepared for. Um and nobody's nobody you know we're literally walking in the dark so um i think i think i think the the leaders who who what, what used to happen is companies used to build these luxurious offices with campuses and chefs and yes. free food and you know you know segways etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think in the near future um talent will flock to environments where where Asynchronous work is well designed and happens seamlessly, which and it makes Zoom and Zoom fatigue a thing of the past. It's it's you work really efficiently where there is an asynchronous operation operating system. And I think the companies that get that right will attract the best people, will attract the best talent, because you can then choose how you want to work. You can choose what level of hybrid you want. Um, but I'm I, I I'm an optimist because I do think human beings are adaptive and we will adapt in spite of our leaders' best interests in some cases. But I I, I think um, once we get through this COVID thing, there will be a uh, there will be some real progress in a lot of fronts. Okay, well, it's probably a good place to leave it. Brett, thanks so much for talking to us today. Linda, my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Brett Potter is CEO of Culture Gene. Well, that's it for today. If you want to learn more about Brett and his work, please check out our show notes. You'll find his bio there as well as some links. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at, at @relentlesseco. Now, if you did like this discussion and you like the discussions around the future of work, please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It does make a huge difference in letting people letting people find us and helping us to continue talking about this. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future, and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the workandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. <laughs>